Hello, everybody, and welcome to July of 1991. In the news this month, Jeffrey Dahmer confesses to killing 17 men in 1978. Dennis Martinez pitches the 13th perfect game in baseball history. Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, is arrested in Florida for exposing himself at an adult movie theater. Russia and U.S. sign long-range nuclear weapons reductions packs. The top song of the month is Rush Rush by Paula Abdul. And in an otherwise slow month, the top three grossing movies of the month are Boys in the Hood, Hot Shots, and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. And we have... I'm Eric. We have a... Eric! A third, I made it. I a, made it. A third guy. I'm so happy. It's nice to have someone else talking on this thing. He's neither host nor co-host. He's just guy. Guy number three. <laughs> he is our new PR man. It's he, called the guest host, people. Right. <laughs> right. Facts. So it's <laughs> taken him a year and a half to get his ass over here to my house to be on this podcast. But here we are. COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't, we don't say the C word in this house. Censor. <laughs> Censor all the COVIDs. All right. So we have, uh, because of a shit show in Chris's life uh, with uh, family sickness, and everyone will be fine. It's just a shit show at the moment. Uh, not COVID. No, not COVID. We don't say that word, you prick. Bleep uh, it out. Uh, it's a non, non-COVID related illness. It's a non-C word related illness. I didn't know there were other illnesses. <laughs> there weren't for a while until i had the flu and then i was like oh it's a, not the flu until i had uh strep strep throat and i was like oh my god it's a lie <laughs> <laughs> thank god it's strep <laughs> <laughs> all right so this month is a very good month for movies and we have 14 titles this month and i'm gonna kick it off so we could get right into it uh, Chris is on Skype, Eric is live with me, and uh, that's the situation. So, Coming in at number 14, we have a real dog shit movie called The Miracle. Uh, it's a drama. Uh, two teenagers, Jimmy and Rose, spend their vacation at the small Irish Sea Resort Bray, B-R-A-Y. Out of boredom, they observe other people and imagine wild stories about them. One day, they observe the blonde Renee, and Jimmy's immediately fascinated by her and even follows her home. That sounds stalkerish. She seems to like him too, but for a mis- mysterious reason, she keeps him at a distance. I don't know, man. There's, I, I, said, I don't. You, you said way too many things. I there. dozed off while I was reading that. Uh, I don't know why you read all that. You should have just said two kids go on a vacation in Ireland. It star- stars Beverly D'Angelo, which is that's something. And uh, directed by this guy, Neil Jordan, who directed The Crying Game. This Irish movie that's really good, Michael Collins. And get this, he also directed Interview with a Vampire, the Tom Cruise movie. Oh, wow. So that. this is a an Irish movie made with a lot of Irish actors in Ireland by an Irish director. So if you're a Mick, it might be for you. So your wife would love this movie. Yeah, I, yeah she probably would. <laughs> Nothing to say, Eric? No, I'm not Irish. <laughs> he's, he's, they, they don't call him the best color man in the game for nothing. <laughs> That's a major league reference. Yes, indeed it is. Coming in at number 13, another you, earning $2.7 million. 
After years in a mental institution, George is finally released and tries to adapt to life outside of the hospital's walls. Things quickly become eventful for George, however, when he is mistaken for Abe Fielding, a wealthy man who recently vanished. When the shifty Eddie Dash realizes the situation, he decides to seize the opportunity and have George pose as Fielding, resulting in plenty of odd and awkward moments. All right. So, this is directed by Maurice Phillips, who's done nothing you'll care about mm-hmm. starring richard pryor and gene wilder wow we were just talking about that just talking yeah. about that we were talking about we were just talking about richard pryor and gene wilder movies being on like hbo and tbs or whatever all yeah. the time so this is their last movie uh as the leads in a movie really um yep and also this movie was said by critics to be uh not funny at all. <laughs> well, until you said that, I was actually thinking about watching this movie. There's, so thank you. That's a descriptive. But that's not the words they use. I can't remember what they said. But it only earned a six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. I, Richard Pryor is known for making some stinkers. So uh, yeah. coming in at number twelve is Life Stinks. This is a Mel Brooks comedy. Uh, gross $3.8 million. A filthy rich businessman bets a corporate rival that he could live on the streets of LA without the comforts of home or money, which proves to be tougher than he thought. It stars Mel Brooks, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, which is the dad in Arrested Development, and it's wrote and directed, written and directed, I should say, by Mel Brooks. Eric said he just seen this movie about two months ago. Oh, yeah, just about two months ago. It, uh, it's one of those movies that used to be on loop, just like those Richard Pryor movies back in the day. And I, I had to watch uh, with my wife, who's much younger than me and never heard of any of these movies. It's actually a pretty good movie. I'd... So you were just going through the Mel Brooks uh, filmography? Yeah, that happens quite often, actually. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, uh, if you're a Mel Brooks fan, you have to see this movie. I remember the movie. I remember having seen the movie. I don't remember anything about the movie other than I that I enjoyed it in the early 90s, so... But who doesn't love Mel Brooks? Yeah. He lives on the streets with the homeless and he's got to do it for a couple months or 30 days or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, and then they, someone steal his, uh, the counterpart steals his life while he's out. And uh, then he has to get it back. And it's pretty funny. Coming in at number 11, Dutch, earning $4.2 million. Working man Dutch is dating the divorced Natalie and he offers to drive her stuffy 13-year-old Doyle from his private school in Atlanta to his mother's home in Chicago for Thanksgiving. Doyle is not interested as he blames Natalie for the divorce and wants nothing to do with mom's new boyfriend, especially given the man's lowly working class roots. The pairing makes for the journey filled with bickering mishaps and eventually bonding. (laughs) This is starring Ed O'Neill, right? Yeah, this is an Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry movie. I'm virtually certain uh, we did this in a countdown in another month. Virtually certain. It's possible. You know how mixed up these things get. Yeah. Uh, we always say that, you know, don't don't, it's, don't necessarily think the release date is 100% correct because you can't, four different sites have four different dates. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to tell what's what. So I guess we generally go off. That's why we stopped going off of different lists and just use the primary list that we have. Right. So whatever. So th- this is a good. This won't happen many times from here on out because of that. So. But anyway, yeah, this was a good movie. Who else was in it? Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill, uh, Ethan Embry. You know the boy from Can Hardly Wait. And does anything else even matter? I would argue no. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Can Hardly Wait's an amazing movie. Yes, and then also Joe Beth Williams, who is the lead in Poltergeist. And again, does anything else matter? Probably no. not. 
No. But interestingly enough, this is written by John Hughes. Nice. And, wow. Yeah. And it's in the same universe as Home Alone. Wow. Yo, it, it has that feel now that you say that. This movie has that feel uh, of, of a John Hughes movie. But how do we feel about John Hughes just going out and creating his own universe? He, he's allowed. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm grateful. That's how I feel. Grateful that well, he created his own universe. But but he didn't tell anybody. He just did it. <laughs> and you can't live there, which is disappointing. Not Agreed. yet. All right, coming in at number 10, V.I. Warshawski. Warshawski. However you say that. Uh, action comedy grossing $11 million. A female P.I. babysitting for a boyfriend gets stuck with his daughter and the case of her murdered father. I remember nothing about this movie, but whatever I recalled was not this plot. <laughs> for you, some you've reason, seen this? For, yeah, when I was a kid, you had limited options. So like you, your parents would let you see like a PG-13 or an R-rated movie just because there was nothing else to watch. Um, it stars Kathleen Turner, J.O. Sanders, uh, Charles Durning, and Andrea Gothels. Now, you, I say those... I didn't know one of those names. Yes, yes, that's fair. Now, Now, so when I was doing IMDb, right, I was like... I have no idea who these people are. And then I looked at their IMDb. I was like, oh, I know them from this movie. I know them from that movie. I know them from all of them. All those people I just said, if you look up their IMDb, you'll know who they are by other movies other than V.I. Warsharsky. So anyway, here we are. Coming in at number nine, Mobsters earning $20.2 million. Loosely based on real historical figures, this drama focuses on the empire built by enterprising young criminals Lucky Luciano and Meyer Lansky. Along with Bugsy Siegel and Frank Costello, Luciano and Lansky establish a revitalized mob in New York City, effectively displacing their predecessors. Despite the gangsters' humble beginnings on the streets, they eventually rise to control much of the city. So... It sounds like a good story. I want to know about Lucky Luciano, you know? Have you ever seen this movie? (laughs) No, I have not. First of all, shame on you. Second of all, it's on our app. Thirdly, I fucking love this movie. Love this movie. One of my top mobster movies of all time. So it's it it doesn't it doesn't hold up well. It's at times super cheesy, but also it's a great story. And you have a cameo by Robert De Niro playing Al Capone, yep. who is super gangster in this movie. He takes a bat to the back of some guy's head for uh, seemingly no good reason. All right. So I definitely have seen this movie. I just don't remember it because I know that. Uh, Sean Penn. He's in this movie, right? Yeah, Chris yeah, Penn. Yeah. Chris Penn. Not Sean Penn. Chris Penn. Must see gangster movie. I don't remember this movie at all. I, I just remember the scene with Al, uh, Al Pacino. De Niro? De Niro. with the bat yeah, with the bat mm. um this is directed by michael carbon that's it i think that's the name uh he's directed and done absolutely nothing else like he only has two other imdbs they're like writing credits for like things you've never heard of yeah that's pretty much it and by the way i got it confused a little bit before dutch was not the one not a dutch the other movie I said had six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was actually Mobsters that had six percent on Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's yeah. not really a very good movie. I, it's more. It's probably more nostalgia for me. But also Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey. Who else is in it, Chris? Well, just last week you were saying you hate Christian Slater. So what good does that do? I didn't say that, yeah, did man. I? Oh, you know what you said? You said he was the worst thing in Robin Hood. Yeah, that's what you said. That, but also I love Christian Slater. Yeah, he could be the I worst see- in a movie. 
It's a good movie, then. <laughs> so, no, it was a terrible movie. So it was Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Rodney Eastman, who's a horror actor with a bunch of TV credits, mm-hmm. Co- Costas Mandalore, also a horror actor with a bunch of TV credits, mm. and Sir Michael Gambon. Who's he again? He's the new Dumbledore. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, all right. Yeah, he replaced the old Dumbledore. Uh, <laughs> I, I prefer old, Dumble, uh, old Dumbledore since we're on the subject. Me too. We Everybody do. does. All right. Come, anything else to add about mobsters? Just watch no, it. Chris, it's on the app. You got to watch it. It's uh, it, yeah, it didn't get the credit it deserved, but it's definitely, if you're a mobster guy, you have to watch this movie. I'll give it a shot. Coming in at number eight, Problem Child 2, grossing $25 million. The worst child in the world makes an unthinkable discovery. There is another child even worse than him, and it's a girl. Sounds like shit. Stars John Ritter. Michael Oliver plays the little boy. He went on to do nothing. Uh, also stars Jack Warden. Ivana Schwan plays the little girl who also went to do went on to do nothing. And Gilbert Godfrey. And that's it. Did you say? Did you say Ivana Schwan? <laughs> yes, that's precisely what I said. Well, how about the fact? I remember this from when we did Problem Child, the first one. Yeah. That this movie was only a movie. Because people hated the idea of the first one so much yes. that the writers like said they doubled you know down. What? We're writing another one. Fuck everybody. <laughs> Here's another. <laughs> I remember these movies coming out. They they made a lot of money, but they were awful. Terrible movies. I loved it when I was a kid. I don't know why. I loved this little redhead kid just running around causing havoc and throwing birthday presents into the pool. That yeah. Once again, we'll revisit the only memorable scene where the kids throwing the the, the birthday presents into the pool while the song play I, I'll cry if I want to is playing when the little girl is crying. <laughs> yes. All right. Moving on, Chris, number seven. Now, number seven, I, you know, I did my research on this anyway, but Kevin, this is a limited release. Yeah, no, I, 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 I saw that, but here's the problem with, with the fact that it, it says it's a limited release. It's a Walt Disney film that grossed $37.5 million. So I really, in good conscience, couldn't exclude that. Right. So this was definitely an independent film. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. An independent Walt Disney production? I'm pretty sure they bought the rights and released it. I don't think it was Walt Disney. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. A surgeon Jack McKee is emotionally disconnected from his wife, his son, and the people he operates on. After Jack develops a life-threatening tumor, he sees his life from the patient's perspective. He then meets a courageous, fatally ill woman named June and begins to realize the necessity of showing kindness in the medical profession. Starring William Hurt, who, by the way, I'm going through his IMDb and I'm like, William Hurt is definitely a name I should know. Yeah. I'm looking at all his work and I'm like, I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't know this. The only thing I know William Hurt from is the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Thaddeus Ross. That's it. I don't know him as anything else. Okay. Uh, also starring Christine Lady from nothing. It's like a lot of TV stuff. But then we have Mandy Patinkin. Nice. And Charlie Corsmo. All right. Coming in at number six, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Now, this is a movie that must be right up Eric's alley. Gross $37.5 million. A tyrant from the future creates evil android doubles of Bill and Ted and sends them back to eliminate the originals. Directed by Peter Hewitt. He did not direct the first one. And he has a super lackluster career. Get this. Includes Home Alone, The Holiday Heist, Garfield with Bill Murray, and a little gem called 
Thunderpants. I'm just going to leave Wait, you with lots of Thunderpants. Hold on. First of all, we have the made-for-TV Home Alone. Yes. The Garfield movie that Bill Murray accidentally signed up for. <laughs> yes. And Thunderpants. Yeah, he sounds Thunder like he Pants. picks up a lot of people's slack and tries to make a movie out of it. So this one stars Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, William Sadler plays the Grim Reaper. Now, William Sadler is Haywood in Shawshank. And I read that he was heralded for his, the way his portrayal of the Grim Reaper in this movie. And he won some like half-assed award for from some... It wasn't an Oscar or a Grammy or anything like that. But like people say you know, his portrayal in this movie was really something to see. Uh, oh, I've heard this before. And thinking back on it, you know? Yeah. If there was anything good out of this movie, it was that. And it uh, also has Pam Greer and George Carlin. And here's the, t- the tagline to tell you that they really phoned this movie in. Hell hath no pizza. Yeah, no. I appreciate you thinking I like this movie. Uh, big fan of Keanu, obviously. But uh, this movie was not that good. Yeah, that's by all accounts. I don't remember this. And I'm not a fan of the Bill and Ted series. I haven't even seen the newest one that came out. I bought it. It's on the app. Uh, and I won't watch it. <laughs> the, which is why I haven't watched it either. But this is why I thought you would have loved this movie, Eric, because you're the one who put that thing on our well, into our lives. The original Bill and Ted is is classic. You know, this one I was not, and I was just had a lot of hope for the the new one. And yeah. so crates. <laughs> yes, I remember so crates. Right. Coming in at number five, earning forty three million dollars, regarding Henry, an unscrupulous corporate lawyer, Henry Turner will do whatever it takes to win a case and treats his family with the same degree of ruthlessness. After Henry gets caught in the middle of a robbery and is shot in the head, he wakes up from a coma to find that he has amnesia and can't even remember how to do the simplest of tasks. As he recovers and relearns how to function, Henry reveals a much kinder and more thoughtful personality, much to the surprise of his family and friends. Directed by Mike Nichols, he directed The Birdcage, Oh, it I seems love like the Birdcage yeah, is a great, great movie. movie. Yeah, but this has, this movie definitely has a much different feel and tone than the Birdcage. Yeah, <laughs> a, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's starring Harrison Ford and Annette Bening. And you know, I'm a Harrison Ford fan, so would definitely go give this a watch. Uh, I, it seems like it did pretty well. I would call myself a diehard Harrison Ford fan, and I would call myself anti Annette Bening. This will be a All conflicting right, well, movie for you then. Name what? <laughs> name one good Annette Benning role. I don't. Well, I, I don't can't. know who she is. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't. And honestly, as I was doing my research for this movie, this is when all hell broke loose in my house. So that's all I got on this. I feel like I saw this when I was younger, but have zero recollection. All right. So get this. Coming in at number four, not number three, not number two, certainly not number one. Number four is a little movie you might have heard of called Point Break, grossing $43 million. So here is Minnesota number two, because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. All time. This is, this is one of our favorite movies of all Most time. Most quotable. I, can, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie in the last year, let alone my entire lifetime. I, I have to watch this movie at least once a month. This is the This is the type of movie where I will actually turn it on on my phone, but like... While I'm driving, yeah. but not look at my phone and just let 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 the, the audio play over my car. Absolutely, a thousand percent. Because of how many times each of us have seen this movie, there's no reason to sit down and watch it start to finish, which I did for this podcast for the mini. So, but there's no reason to do that because I was like, 
I thought to myself before I watched it again, I was like, how well do I really know Point Break? Because the last time I sat down and watched all of it was who knows when. And I sat down and watched all of it. I was like, I know every last scene of this movie. Well, we watched it when we saw that, uh, what's her name? Kate Bigelow. That's the director, right? Yeah. Yeah. When we saw Kate Bigelow directed something else, we were like, let's watch Point Break because she directed it. Yes. <laughs> it, it was nice to see that a female director directed an action movie of this caliber, in my opinion, right? Somebody else could say that this movie shit. You may or may not be right. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a top-notch action film. No, it's 100% a top-notch action film, right? An the, adrenaline the, the movie, film. Oh, yes. The movie is not great movie, but it's a great action film. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I would imagine that you need a certain level of nostalgia to appreciate the movie as much as we do. But also, I think that if I showed this to my 15-year-old son, he would appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I showed it to my 24-year-old coworker who has no idea of movies. Yeah. And he he called me. This is like a week ago because we were like talking about how we're going to do this podcast. I was like, oh, this is a movie you got to watch. He, he calls me that night and he was like, bro, that movie was amazing. I need more. Tell me all the movies I need to watch. So I started like throwing more movies at him. Nice. So now I, I got him to watch Point Break, Goodfellas. Nice. Oh, what was the other one I had him to watch the other day? Oh, Indiana Jones. Like this is all stuff he'd never seen because it all came out like well before he was born. And and he, and side note, he's from Mexico. Okay. So like, yeah. So like he, he, he says, he's like, I've always just been into like sports and stuff, not really movies. Yeah. So like now he's trying to get into them. Well, the, see, I'm also jealous of a, of a person like that. Right. Because think about the ability to see Indiana Jones for the first time. I, yeah. I don't know what I would give for that experience. I was thinking the same thing. Can you imagine watching that without having any background whatsoever? It's classic. What, what, what is amazing though is that like he really does love these movies and i was i was kind of nervous i'm like is a 24 year old guy gonna appreciate indiana jones right now yeah and he did that's great though i'm glad to hear that because you always wonder like how much of it is your own nostalgia that you love the movie the way you do and granted you know even if they were blockbusters back then do they hold up now and it's nice to hear that at least if not everybody at least somebody appreciates it you know yep absolutely all right so we more or less breeze through the top, what, 15 minus 4 is 11? It was 14 minus 10. Is it 8? 6? It was 10. I'm 17. I'm certain it's an even number. It's 10. All right. So then coming in at number 3 is a movie that I don't know how I feel about called Boys in the Hood, grossing $56 million. This is Los Angeles, gang capital of the nation. It just goes on and on, you know. Either they don't know, don't show, don't care about what's going on in the hood. In South Central LA, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me. You shoot the motherfucker. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Man, why you sweating me? You're my only son, and I'm not gonna lose you to no bull. Hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. I heard you like Mr. GQ smooth now. Maybe some of what you gotta rub off on him. Ricky was looking for a better life. 
I want to do something with my life, all right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, you used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central LA. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're gonna learn. younger this movie played a certain way to me where like the gangsters they were gangsters and you know they lived they died they did the thing they were cool now i watch this movie and this movie's nothing but sad like it was a really well done movie i was ent- i was never bored i don't know if i would go as far as to say that i was entertained but i was certainly never bored it was well acted for the most part and see i was gonna i was gonna actually gonna say something about the acting right so it was it was I don't know if I want to say well acted. You can see where Cuba Gooden Jr. is heading. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's yeah. not he's not Cuba yet. Yeah, he's a thousand percent. Build, he's got some building to do, but you can see, okay, this kid's got talent. A thousand percent, you're right. You can see Ice Cube is gonna be a decent actor, but he's not there yet. Yeah, it's very early in their careers. It yeah. starts their careers. And then even Lawrence Fishburne, which by the way, when I was doing some research, like I'm finding like how much people really, really praise Lawrence Fishburne in this movie. And with the exception of two scenes, I really felt he was just one note the whole movie, like no inflection, nothing going throughout the whole movie. See, I thought he carried the movie. I thought he looked like he belonged there. I felt like he was the only one not acting. See, I felt I felt Cube was the best actor in the movie. I thought that Lawrence... Lawrence Fishburne, the way he portrayed the character was annoying. Like, I appreciate the figure that he was. Like, he was the... He was like the Malcolm X. He was yes. the preacher. Yes. But he did it in a way that was not, I don't know, um, inviting, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, he was also a hard dad. Yeah. You know, he That's tried probably to raise his son in a hard world that he was trying to bring reality and fact to. It was... Uh, yeah, so no, I underwear, understand where like Lawrence Fishburne was going with what he was doing. I just felt like he just had this very like monotone esque feel to him the entire movie until he finally did that monologue outside the bill uh, next to the billboard, yeah. which was like that's when you saw his acting chops and and he really did like put on a good performance at that point. But you know, I've never appreciated um, him as a as an actor anyhow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like. He's not great in any movie. Like you love The Matrix, but he's not great. In I think he overacts. He's actually a terrible actor yeah, in The Matrix. Overactor yeah. in The Matrix. All right. So actors in this movie, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays Trey, Larry Fishburne. He has. He's not yet Lawrence Fishburne in the credits. <laughs> plays Furious Styles. Now, if you thought you heard me wrong, you didn't. I don't know why they chose this name for him, but there you have oh, it's it. Jason 
Furious Styles. And, okay, thank you for clarifying. Angela Bassett plays Cuba's wife, which is Rina or Riva Styles. Can't read my own handwriting, so sorry. Ice Cube plays Doughboy. Nia Long plays Brandy. And then there's a bunch of others. The plot of the movie is basically it's just following Trey and his friends growing up in Crenshaw, L.A., uh, and in the 90s, in the late 80s and early 90s, and all the shit that goes on therein. I don't know. I mean, I have some notes about this movie, but like I said, I, re- I really think that the, the, the tone of this movie is much more sad. Look, this movie came out in 91. I was 11. I don't understand what this movie really meant well, back yeah, then. The, pur- the purpose of this movie was to open up people's eyes to what was going on in LA at this time, right? Uh, yeah, it was like a political and- movie. So I went to one of my coworkers uh, who is a black man uh, and I wanted to get his perspective on this being that, you know, I'm not a black man. Right. And he was saying to me, he was saying he didn't even understand like the, this movie at first. Cause he's like, cause you know, he's like, he didn't see any of that stuff going on. He's a lot younger than me too. So he's like, so he started, you know, reaching out to like, when he was in college, he was like talking to his boys in college and they were telling him that the, there's boys from LA that like, no, this is legit what life was like back then. Like they totally had this lifestyle where people were just dying left and right. And there was no avoiding the gunshots and the craziness. And like, so it was interesting because I thought like, oh, was this over the top or was it not? And apparently it's, it's pretty much life in LA in the early nineties. Yeah. Eric brought up some good points before. What were you saying? Well, I think this came out, um, you know, you told us during NWA, you know, this is calling out politics is calling out the police is calling about the mistreatment of, uh, you know, their people there. And, um, you know, I think this movie was even recognized uh, by Congress, by I think even Bill Clinton came out and recognized this movie. Uh, it, it made a lot of movements occur um, because it brought light on what they even said. There was quotes in the movie that, you know, they don't know what's going on in the ghetto. They don't know what's going on in the hood. They're just they just want us to kill ourselves. And um, I, I think that was kind of the main theme of this movie. It was kind of like, hey, this is what's going on down here. Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I wanted to. Like there weren't even any really quotable lines. Like there were things that were, I got hum- humorous. They were humorous in the moment only because of the way that they were delivered. But then, if I were to repeat them, it wouldn't be funny. So it's not, you know what I mean? Like, well, the quotable like when, lines don't have to be funny. They're not supposed. This well, is not so a comedy. I try, man. I try to tell them this all the time. <laughs> no, I know, but I, I I understand they don't have to be funny. You but just want like, them to be. I remember thinking certain things in this movie were funny when I was younger. And now I'm watching this movie at 41 years old. I'm like, even the funny parts aren't really funny. They're like, they're just, you know, it's, it's people interacting, you know, semi awkwardly or somebody, you know, ice cube calling one of his friends an idiot, you know, with using other words or whatever, you know, it's kind of funny in the moment, but it's still not really like the whole movie is, is depressing, which is what I'm sure it was intended to be. So. I think it's more, like I said before, it's it's more of a documentary. I feel like it's kind of telling you a story. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's not supposed to be a comedy or have those type of lines in it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's hit the categories. Direct, unless Chris, do you have anything else to add? No. No. Directed by John Singleton. Directed Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Four Brothers. Here's some more sad shit for you. Died in 2019 at age 51 of a stroke. Oh. Yeah. But these are some, like, Four Brothers was a sad movie, too. Poetic Justice, Higher Learning is, you know, 
Too Fast, Too Furious is the only one doesn't that really fit the bill. Yeah, fitting there. Yeah, no. <laughs> he saw an action movie. He was like, I want to try that. All right, Ben. Maybe the worst of the Furious movies. Yes. No, so, <laughs> I can't speak, but to that but i oh wait no that one was actually no tokyo drift was the word i love tokyo drift i love i was thinking why is a cowboy driving a sports never mind i won't get into that (laughs) tokyo drift was atrocity i i like tokyo drift all right right. best scene back to boys in the hood best scene best scene best scene for me was the most well-acted scene was his speech in front of the billboard i like that scene it's one of my nominees eric what's your best scene um ricky man when ricky gets shot in the alleyway um both of you stealing my scenes. Dude, how do you not steal that scene? I mean, I've seen this movie back in the day, and I don't remember much of it before I saw it again. And once his wife said, yo, Ricky, you got to go get the cornbread or cornmeal. Yeah. I was like, no, Ricky, yeah. no. Don't go, <laughs> don't Ricky. Don't go, Ricky. Yeah, so I had both of those nominated for my best scenes, and I actually had a third one too. It's when Cuba's lying to his father about if he's had sex before. The can you, I called it the can you drive stick scene. I really like that one too because that one in itself had some some levity in it. So, my worst scene. Well, well, I got another best scene. Though. Go ahead. Um, Cube, uh, one of the last scenes when he's talking uh, the day after Ricky dies. Yep. He, uh, that's when he lays down the line that, um, was it uh, either they don't know what's going on, they don't show, they don't care what's going on in the hood. Yep. You know, it's the first time Cube steps out of being such a gangster and actually shows some emotion and uh, awareness, awareness. And he kind of, he, yeah, he, he thinks he, more about the awareness because he showed emotion throughout the whole movie, yeah, but you, it was a different type it. of emotion. It was, it was, yeah. it was vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. He was vulnerable in that yeah, yeah. moment. And uh, I remember that, you know, it's the last scene in the movie too. So I, I was a good close. Yeah. All right. So I'm uh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to move on to worst scene unless you want something to add something else here. I was ready to give my worst scene. So my wor- my best scene and worst scene, similar to City Slickers, same day, is Ricky's Dead. The, yeah. the Ricky's Dead scene really broke my heart. Like he was on his he was on his way to doing exactly what he wanted to do, playing football, got a seven ten on the SATs. His girlfriend was there, he his mother was there, his little boy was there, and that's it, just gone. But that's oh. not a worst scene. It hits you. It, it's a good scene. No, 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 no. That's it. That's the, yeah, because it's supposed to be like that. So like that, that that's why we've said this in the past, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be the worst acted or the most, you know. It's just like the the worst scene. It's just like I oh I was on a high, not a high. I was I was on board with this entire movie, you know, and I was okay. I was managing my emotions until Ricky died, and then I was like, oh, this fucking this really sucks. Yeah, but they, they, they got the uh, emotion out of you that they wanted. That's the point. I understand that still. Yeah. And all I could have so, done without him dying. All right. So to me, the worst scene in this movie, for no other reason than it just didn't work for the character for me, was the barbecue. So when Cuba Gooden Jr. walks in, and I just was, was like, there's no way anyone would be looking at Cuba and being like, look how fine this this guy is. He was fly, bro. He was fly. <laughs> yeah, because... And my whole reasoning is th- th- this kid is so clearly a dweeb compared to everybody. Thousand else, right? percent. And like he just doesn't fit in. He's and the, I'm like, that's exactly what I said. He's the only one that doesn't fit in. The only one. Yeah. 
so that was my issue with that scene. Like overall, yeah, there was a good scene. I like I like the whole barbecue scene. And then Neil, Neil, just him. He yeah. just wasn't he wasn't supposed to be there. Everyone is so gangster in that movie, and there he is, a pretty boy, except for his best friend, the Ricky. football player. Yeah, Ricky. Yeah, but Nia Long is looking so good too in this movie. And then she's like interested in him, and he's like trying to play it cool. Where and he goes over to the tree and he stares out to nothing. Yeah, and like just takes time in between like she's like i want to talk to you and he goes over to the tree just to like and then ricky's like you're trying to play it cool he's like yeah she's he's like how's it working out he's like pretty good except for the fact that she just <laughs> left <laughs> so um uh best role uh, eric did you give me a worst scene i didn't I really have a worse scene i mean you know maybe the barbecue i'd agree with because he just didn't fit in. He walked in looking. It was awkward, right? He was dressed like a prep. He yeah. had like the prep. He, he was tucked in. He didn't fit, but he was everyone's boy. Well, that that look though was like that was like the look in the early nineties, wasn't it? Though those like silk shirts tucked yeah, in. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe the Fresh Prince started bringing that in. I don't know. <laughs> All right, best role. I got best Lawrence role. Fishburne, man. I I just thought he was a natural. I didn't feel like he was acting in the movie. I thought he set the precedence to what the tone of the movie was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, you know, the plight in the ghetto and he kind of laid it out there. Uh, I, I didn't think he was too monotone. I, I thought, I, I thought he didn't act. I thought he just was what he was supposed to be. All right, Chris. Uh, I say cube because I, like I said, I said it before, like he, he's not where he's going to be. Like he's not as good as he's going to be, but for someone who was a rapper, and I think this was this was his first movie, yes. Uh, I I don't remember. I didn't I didn't write down his IMDb. Hold on, but I'm checking it out right now. I think we we could probably guess yes, right? Yeah. So this is his first role in a movie, and for someone who's just coming out of rapping and into the into the acting scene, I think he did a pretty damn good job, and I was just overly impressed by that. Well, first of all, Q was from you know what I understand the hood in L.A. So. It's probably not far fetched from for him, but also he did a great role. Like he was charismatic, and you know he he did a great job. So yeah. I have Ice Cube as my best role as well. Worst role, I yeah. got the guy. I don't know his name. The guy with the binky the whole time. He's sucking on the binky. I, I just I don't know. I just think that's something you don't. I just think you don't understand. Like you're like the parents. Parents just don't understand. Did you understand the binky? No, but I just assumed <laughs> it was because I don't understand. You just you just accepted it. Well, yeah. Ice Cube had something to say about it too, so I don't think Cube understood either. Uh, I said, but at the end of the day, I said Ricky was the worst role because, like, I liked Ricky, but I just didn't get enough out of that character. I wanted more Ricky. My worst. I wanted to. I wanted to see him play football a little more. I wanted to see how good he was. Well, they showed it. They showed his highlight video. Yeah. He he, he made one run, one run, one run. Yeah, <laughs> and he lost that game, by the way. Yeah. My worst role was Cuba Gooding Jr. Just because I. He didn't fit. He was like, he was like a square peg in a round hole this entire movie. And I know that's supposedly what he was supposed to be. But it was it was too square. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, 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 before I want, before I forget, I also want to bring this up. So I did a quick IMDb on Cuba's uh, uh, acting roles and what movies he was in. So check this out: Jerry Maguire, Outbreak, the movie with Dustin Hoffman, uh, A Few Good Men. Judgment Night with Emilio Estevez, which if you haven't seen that movie, that's a need. 
as good as it gets, what dreams may come. You know, what dreams may come is super polarizing. The movie with Robin Williams, some people uh, hate it. Some saddest people love movie it. ever. Super sad. Super sad. Men of Honor, he plays a great role in Men oh, of Honor. I love Men of Honor. That's the dive. He's a diver in yeah, that movie. With, with yeah, with De Niro. He plays, plays a similar role in Pearl Harbor. He's in Pearl Harbor as well. He's an American gangster. And then he's in a movie that probably very few people have seen, a movie called Boat Trip. With this girl, her name is Rosalind Sanchez. And uh, Horatio Sands is also in this movie. Rosalind Sanchez is an absolute smoke show in this movie that's like a real like made-for-TV, B-rated movie. But Cuba's like, I don't know. I remember liking it. Cuba was, you know, charismatic in it. And Rosalind Sanchez was hot as could be. So, <laughs> Most quotable lines, Chris? I don't have one because like you, like you had said before, like, there wasn't anything that I really felt like if I had to say one quote, it would just be that speech next to the billboard. It's like the one thing I said, but I'm not going to sit here and quote that. Fine. Um, but outside of that, it was, it was just a lot of just, this is our life and just banter back and forth, having a conversation here and there. Yeah. But nothing, but to quote, it wouldn't do it justice. Right. Or like you said, it's like, it was funny in the moment, but if we repeat it, it's going to be like, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that. My, yeah. Mine was, Eric said it before, a cube at the end when he sits down next to Trey. Um, he says either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. He was saying that he was, he had woke up early that morning. He's like, I haven't been up this early and I can't remember when. And he's like, I put on the news and they have all this violence going on in the Middle East or you know, this foreign violence or foreigners die and he's like do we have all this all this drama right here and they're not showing it so they said they didn't even mention my brother dying yeah so and then oh also before i forget i'm sorry eric i'll let you go next the the set the other sad part too was then they showed like after the movie ends they have like what happened after the movie ends sort of thing and they said ice cube's character got shot two weeks later murdered like everybody's murdered, dying yeah yeah yep. go ahead eric i kind of laughed at that part too because i was thinking in my head like jokingly like Two hours later, Cube is dead. <laughs> uh, the other quote I had, I thought it was kind of, uh, I think Fishburne says, he goes, any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a man can raise his child. All right. So overall, watch this movie and, uh, you know. I got one more thing yeah. for all you uh, fanboys out there. There was one scene in the movie, an homage to Stand By Me. If you remember when the kids the are walking down yeah. the... Uh, the railroad track, yeah. he says. Want to see a dead body? Want to see a dead body? That was a straight-up homage to Stand By Me. All right. So Chris had the bail uh, because his children are sick and his wife needs help. Um, they'll be fine. They just have, uh, I don't know, some sort of virus. They'll get over it. Parents have to do what they got to do. Yep. So we're left with the, your new co-host, guest co-host, Eric. Way to hype it, bro. Way to hype it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sick. Just me. All else failed, so we now have Eric. <laughs> <laughs> last resort all right so coming in at number two eric is uh hot shots grossed 68 million dollars surprising <laughs> somewhere in the mediterranean on this naval aircraft carrier these men have been selected to write a page in military history they are the best the Navy and Air Force have to offer. They've been brought together to form an elite squad of fighter pilots. Their mission, one of national security and international concern. 
These are the fearless pilots. Seems no matter what I do, I end up hurting someone. The men who command them. Pudding. No, thank you, sir. I'll do my best. And the women who love them. Charlie Sheen. Never wanted to be a horse so much in my life. Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> Call them the best of the best. Call them... Eddie's. Hot Shots. The mother of all movies. Oh, God, I love this country. All right, so what'd you think about this movie? These movies are tough, man. I mean, I understand at this time, in the early 90s, these spoof movies were pretty hot. Um, they have their moments, but, uh, I mean, the momentum's tough. It's tough to follow these movies. It's tough to pay attention. I mean, these are not my cup of tea, so I feel like... I, 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 feel, I felt like this movie was a, a waste of time. Like, I feel like it was an hour and change that I can't ever get back. It's true, because during the whole movie, you're going to get a handful of laughs. Like, I think you even said it while we were watching it. One out of five or six jokes even lands at all. Um, so you just, it's, a, it's just an inconsistent wave of humor and awkwardness. And it, it, it's a bit of a waste of time. That's why I'm so surprised this was uh, two this two. month. Yeah. yeah, I mean, especially bumping out Point Break. So I, I, here's what I'm going to say. The only important thing I have to say about this entire movie is this. If you're to watch it, pay close attention to the dialogue because some of the dialogue is extremely funny. Now, it, I felt like it was well-written, the dialogue itself, but all of the gag jokes, which aren't my cup of tea anyway, but I can't say all, but most of the gag, jo gag jokes were like, oh, please just move on. I don't know if it's because we've already seen them so many times, you yeah. know, that in 90, maybe they were a little fresher. I don't know. But and what did I'm, we do last that. month or the month before? We just did um, Naked Gun. Naked Gun. 33 and a third. No, the second it one. It was the two and a half. Yeah, which is, it's another one of these. So. Nah, see, I, I was a, I'm a gag joke fan. I really like the Naked Guns, man. I, though, Leslie Nielsen kills me, and, and this falls short. And also in this movie is... Um, What's his name? Lloyd Bridges. His every scene that Lloyd Bridges was in was hilarious. Almost every quote, every line, and every scene that was notable in this movie had Lloyd Bridges in it. All right, so we'll hit some actors and other roles. Char Charlie Sheen plays Topper Harley. Carrie Elwes plays uh, Kent Gregory. That's his rival. That's my uh, boy, though. Yeah. Well, we we know what he's been in, and Yo Hotch. Uh, excuse me. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Princess Bride. Other. Yeah, I was just saying Wesley. Yes. Uh, Valeria Galino plays Ramada. She was in a lot of movies, but I remember her from zero of them. But she was in Rain Man. I was going to say Rain Man was her other big one. Big Top Peewee, Leaving Las Vegas, Escape from L.A. Uh, she was uh, also in Frida, which is with Selma Hayek. It's a no, good movie. I've never seen that. Uh, about uh, the painter, Frida. But I, I remember nothing about the movie other than it was good. Um, Lloyd Bridges plays Admiral Benson. Uh, he's been in Joe versus the Volcano, Hot Shots 1 and 2, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Blown Away, Airplane 1 and 2. And then Kevin Dunn, he's the dad in Transformers. He's also in Marked for Death. 
Bonfire of the Vanities, which I saw because of this podcast. Very good movie. Only the Lonely with uh, John Candy. The movie Chaplin. The movie Nixon. Godzilla with uh, Matthew Broderick. Almost Heroes with Chris Farley. Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage. Like this guy, Kevin Dunn, who you need to see him to know who he is. Right. He's been all these movies. Yeah, no, there's solid cast here. It's just... Yeah, shitty movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not I don't even fault. know what the plot is. I mean, I know what the plot is. It's it's a spoof of Top Gun. Yeah. So there, there you go. Um, is there anything other? Because uh, we're gonna keep this real short because there's nothing to talk about. There's not here. much to talk about about this movie. Do you have anything other than what we've discussed that you want to do before we get to the categories on this one? If you've seen it once, you've seen it enough. <laughs> it's a fair, fair <laughs> representation of this movie. Yeah. All right, so director Jim Abrams uh, directed Mafia with Leslie Nielsen, Hot Shots, Hot Shots Part (laughs) 2. Can't ever say that properly. Part 2. There you go. Uh, Top Secret, which is another slapstick comedy, uh, and Airplane. He wrote Airplane, Naked Gun 1, 2, and 3, Hot Shots 1 and 2, and Mafia. Yeah, and they all have the same feel. Yeah, exactly. Any of these movies are interchangeable. However, if this is your cup of tea, I'm sure you're going to want to see them all. Um, best scene, Eric. There was one scene that I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I was <laughs> crying, and once again, it, it it had to do with um, Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. They're at the funeral, and they're doing the twenty-one gun salute. The guns go off, and he just goes straight up, flashback. Nom. He's jumping. He's going. He's shooting at everybody. He's, God damn! I love a good funeral. I I don't know. That scene hit me. I I was I was crying, and that was the only good scene in the movie. Yeah, I have the exact same scene, and uh, it was by far the best scene in the in the movie. It just came out of nowhere, too. I mean, it was such a lull into the whole movie, and that scene hit me. And, I mean, when you're crying, laughing, you, you hope to keep that momentum through a whole movie, but it, it's so hard with this type of genre slapstick. Yep, I agree a thousand percent. What was your worst scene? Oh God, the singing scene! I know you and Chris talk about these scenes all the time in your podcast, and you can't destroy momentum more in a movie than a played-out singing scene, and and a one that's supposed to be funny at, at that. It was, it was, it was awful. I wrote all of the visual gags, <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much every other scene with every other joke was atrocious. What about I couldn't take in the? So I've seen this movie a bunch when I when I was younger. You know, look, this is something that people don't really get. Like nowadays, I can't tell you how many movies come out in a month. I don't know. Be- between all the streaming services, now the movies are back in theaters because of the C word that we don't talk about. Like countless movies come out. You get movies that come out with actors that are like, hold on. This guy just put out a movie and I didn't even hear about it. It wasn't even promoted. Yeah. You know, so but when we were younger, you didn't get that. Like there was 14 or 15 titles this entire month. The whole month. There was 14 titles this week, pretty sure, on Netflix. Yeah, right? right. So, like, you know, anyway, my, my point is is that I seen this movie a bunch when I was a kid. And I remember two things from this movie. I remember the sex scene because they're eating the food and he puts the olive in her stomach and the olive shoots into her mouth. Absurdly idiotic. It's just an idiotic Then scene. he pulls out the bacon. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even remember that. I just remembered the olive. And then the other scene where I have my father's eyes... <laughs> and they're in he's a got him in a case yeah it's so it's i'm laughing now but when you're watching it it's not funny at all well once again there are funny scenes in this movie it's just they're so far in between and there's so many lulls in between and there's this awkward humor 
that's in between that just it there's no momentum and i you know that's the once again there's momentum in these movies uh, you know there's a lot of funny scenes in this movie they're just too far apart yeah all right best role lloyd bridges <laughs> yeah i have the same thing i mean there's no denying that he was the funniest by far by far i mean every scene he was in was actually pretty funny you know he wasn't in that many but there was he had he had well he had like maybe one or two slapstick things that he did but his all his comedy was dialogue. Yes, it was it, verbal, and it was really funny. There was a little stunt. I mean, he falls and he, you know, he yeah. falls down the thing, and but and that was the least funny yeah. of it all. And he did remind me of Airplane too a lot. You know, he had the bullet hole through his head. And yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess yeah. he had a handful of of you know visual jokes. He definitely had the most amount of jokes and, that hit and landed in the movie for sure. All right, so he's my best role. My worst role was Ramada. I wanted to say Charlie Sheen, but like, he wasn't terrible. It's no, just the he movie played the part. I, I, I wrote the same person. Ramada was just she didn't fit the bill. She, it was just boring. She was she was boring. boring. She was boring. Everything she said, she had. To, I don't know. All right, so most quotable lines. I have a good one. Right, bear with me; it's a little bit long. So Admiral Benson, he's at a press conference. So he goes, "All right, be seated." Many of you are wondering what's wrong with my pants. Well, they started running short on materials right before they got to the knees. So don't give me shit. He goes, I look out there on all you wonderful guys and I say to myself, what I wouldn't give to be 20 years younger. And a woman, you know, I've personally flown over 194 missions and I was shot down on every one. <laughs> Come to think of it, I've never landed a plane in my life. <laughs> oh, that was funny, actually. That was great. Your best, do you have a quotable? Well, the quotable line was that, God damn, I love a good funeral because it <laughs> was in the peak of this really funny scene where he's diving behind the podium, just bucking shots at everybody and people are diving and it's a funeral. That's the, the line wasn't as funny as it was delivered in the, in the scene. Moment. Yeah, in the moment, it was perfect. Yep, I agree with you. That was, that was again, my favorite scene. All in all, if you're going to get, like, my opinion on this movie is, you don't really need to watch it. If you're going to watch it, pay attention to the dialogue. Would you recommend this movie? Oh, that's tough. Uh, if you like slapstick, this is going to be on the list of slapstick comedies. You, you might watch it once, but this is not a go-to movie. Uh, it, it doesn't hold par to the Naked Gun series and, and those other slapstick-type movies. Um, only if it fits your genre. So coming in at number one this month, the number one movie of the year. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, grossing a whopping $203 million. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission... Get down. ...is to protect it. Mom! Come with me if you want to live. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 
35 years from now. And his enemy. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. Is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all. Look again. Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. I remember this movie coming out. Um, I grew up in a family that was obsessed with audio, visual. You know, we had to have the best technology. And when this movie came out, they were hyping it. This was CGI, was revolutionary. The CGI in this movie changed the entire movie industry from this point on. Um, I mean, to this day, people still talk about Terminator 2 when it came out and... and I just remember this movie just changing everything. Watching this on the TV was just, it was just epic. We watched this over and over and over again. And it's Arnold in his heyday. I mean, he just dominates this movie. Well, look, Arnie is the best action movie hero that has ever lived and probably will ever live. Like, think about it. You could talk about The Rock now. You could talk about Jason Statham. You could obviously compare him to Sly. I'm a Bruce Willis fan, man. You could do Bruce Willis. You can name any one of them. Arnie, in my opinion, is hands down, top of the heap, by far. Can't argue. Can't argue with that. He he just, the 90s, even in the early 80s, he just, he made action. He made action, action. Yeah, and... I haven't seen this movie, and I can't tell you when. Like, for sure, I've seen it on TV and, like, stayed for a little bit and then moved on. I got to tell you that uh, I'm upset with myself in the sense that this movie deserves to be watched way more than I watch it. I would gladly, now having seen this for the podcast, gladly put this on at any point in time and sit down and watch it because it's really, really, like, it. It's really a good movie. All right, so actors in other roles. We have Arnie plays the Terminator. Edward Furlong plays John Connor. Linda Hamilton plays Sarah Connor. Robert Patrick plays the T-1000. And Danny Cooksey uh, plays John Connor's friend. The only other thing I could find of note that he's done is he's Bobby Budnick in Salute Your Shorts. Remember Salute Your Shorts? I, I did the same uh, Google search on him. And yeah, I remember it was like Nick at Night or something like that. It was, yeah. I, I Well, now it's Nick at Night. Before it was Nick during the day. <laughs> <laughs> it was before it was at night. <laughs> so uh, the plot uh, is a Terminator identical to the one sent to kill Sarah Connor has been sent to the past by John Connor to protect John from the T-1000, a new and improved cyborg. This, I remember reading about this. This was actually pretty big because this is one of the first movies that the sequel brought in the the bad guy from the first movie and now he's the good guy. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty bold move by the director and um, obviously worked out. I, I loved in the beginning, the very beginning, the opening THX 
effect. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is also a Carol co-production. Carol Cole, which I bring up every time I see it. It was in it was in last year's podcast. I remember. I watched this on DVD, by the way. And the DVD is the extreme edition because everything was extreme in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine that's the only reason it's the extreme edition. Uh, but it had some really cool additions and features. Like it had like uh, Cyberdyne's. Uh, you were in like inside Cyberdyne's facility, and there was like a bunch of T twos walking around and stuff. Which, speaking of the T2s, uh, I thought this movie, the CGI and the graphics and the, the special effects and the practical effects, everything was spot on. I found like a couple flaws, one being in one of the early scenes where the, the T2s were walking around yeah. and they were very stiff. Very like, robotic and yeah, yeah. Which they're robots, but also they're supposed to be futuristic robots, yeah. so they're not supposed to walk like robots from like the 1950s. Uh, those robots, uh, I, I think we could have beat. <laughs> All you had to get them to do was like <laughs> turn, turn around, turn slightly <laughs> to their left and that would have been We've it. got them. <laughs> All right. Uh, I also like, I put a note that their future is 2029, yep. which we're about eight years away from. So, well, not only that, last seven but, now, what D day is August 29th, 1997, which happened quite some time ago. <laughs> we, we, we made it. We, we beat the machines people. We're safe for now. <laughs> oh, so same open and scene. The, the war effects were really dope. Like, Whatever they were shooting, which didn't seem to be bullets. I had the same thought. Were they laser bullets? I wasn't really sure what they were fighting with. Whatever it was, they did a good job on the effects. And also, the planes looked really good, yeah. right? Yeah. The Whatever hover, they shot hover down, planes. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was really done. Like yeah. They put a lot of effort It's into really it. hard to put yourself in the seat of somebody watching this in 91, where you're looking at the TVs were in 480p if, at best graphics i mean if we watched them today you'd think you're watching a fuzzy tv that was broken yeah but this this movie the 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 budget on this movie was 102 million dollars which was a lot yeah and i think that at certain points they earned every bit of that 102 and then at other points it was like they were like well we ran out of money so just chewing gum and tape (laughs) (laughs) that'll that'll do the job well, like most movies, they probably started at the end and finished at the beginning, and that's where all the graphics were the worst. <laughs> Which not 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 the best idea for a movie based around special effects. Uh, a really cool effect was when the the, uh, the Terminators come into the past and they cut out that cylindrical. How do you pronounce that? Is that the proper pronunciation? Cylindrical. Yes, there you go. Uh, they cut out that shape of whatever they land, and Arnie lands close to the corner of the uh, tractor trailer, and, and it's cuts missing. out that perfect yeah. spherical shape. I don't know. I just thought that was a dope special effect. You know what I, I mean? I always take notice to the old school electric effects. You know the, that lightning in the air type of thing. It's so cheesy. So early '90s, but I, I laughed when I saw it. But back then, you're like, ooh. <laughs> There's no. That's another thing too, right? In the context of watching this in 1991, there's no way that you weren't completely blown away by everything you saw. You were completely everything. blown away. Yeah, a thousand percent. 
you know, um, before this movie, we're talking about Arnold. I mean, him coming into this movie, obviously in 84, he did the original Terminator. In 87, he did Predator. And 90, he did Total Recall and Kindergarten Cop. And he comes in here in 91 doing Terminator 2, which just, I mean, he was on this upswing of just domination. A whole other level, right? Like every one of these movies was top three. It was, you know, if not top one of every, it was amazing. It's this is our uh, second or third Arnie movie that we're doing now. You did Total Recall and Kindergarten Cop yeah, so the, uh, our, last year in ninety. Yeah, thank you. So it's our third Arnie movie that we're doing now, and he's he's on another planet. Like he can't be touched. And any movie he touches just turns to gold, and well well deserved. Like well I deserved. said, he is, you know, in he's comforting to me. When I see him on screen because of all of these movies that he's been in. And as good as he is, this role fit his character, his 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 personality, so, yes. even even his his accent was just perfect. Yeah, for this like role. you didn't even really notice the accent so much in this movie. Because oh, he's from the future. Who knows what his yeah, sound and he's like. a cyborg. Yeah, like, maybe that's what, what they sound like. Yeah. They're from Austria or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, German engineering. Right. Definitely from Germany. Exactly. So can I also bring up, I want to bring up Edward Furlong. His introduction in this movie. This is the motorcycle scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the motorcycle scene, and it also grasps by the balls early 90s with the Guns N' Roses yep. blaring in the background, right? And he's fixing the motorcycle, and he's a defiant little grunge kid. Not paying any attention to his stepmom or whatever. Yeah. And... and I'm just like, this is still now, today, to me, the coolest little kid that has ever lived, right? Yeah, he just peels away on his dirt bike. Yeah, he's, he's like, she's not my mom, Todd, or whatever the hell the <laughs> yeah, guy's name that. is. Yeah, and just peels off on his bike with his friend on the back, blasting the Guns N' Roses on the boombox. I don't know, that's still, it has to be nostalgia, and I get that, but it's still like, that scene hits. He gave me a feel of the Corys, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Right? Yeah, similar, yeah, very good. What about the ATM scene, right? Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, he's a computer genius. 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 I could do this. (laughs) Whatever technology that may or may not have been, I'm 100% Where did he get the laptop from in 91? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm 1,000% convinced that that worked. Easy money. Whatever it was, he knew what he was doing, and it it worked 1,000%. This is a non sequitur. There's a guy that's taken pictures with a di- like a an analog camera, like a camera with snaps film like in a it. thousand pictures. Da, da, yeah, da, da, da. yeah. And I was like, how ahead of his time is this guy that's taking pictures in the mall with whatever is occurring? Yeah, he can't post right that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> what social media platform is he putting that on? What's he gonna do? Is show his grandma? <laughs> Look what I saw. <laughs> Hashtag Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was so good. I noticed that part. Anyway, I thought that was funny. That was a great introduction scene too, because you have Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, coming from one end of the uh, you know the hallway, and then you got the T two thousand coming from the other. Johnny's running back and forth. He doesn't have any idea what's going on. Scared of both. He of pulls them. out the what, the shotgun from the roses, yep. right? Yep. And he's like, duck. Yeah. <laughs> Or get down, get he down. shoots right over his head, and that's when you, I think, you first see the bolts go into the T two thousand, and you see the 1, liquid. Me- I think that's when you see the first visual effect of the liquid metal. The bolts go into him and instantly heal. Yep, that was I, a great I, intro scene of the two guys meeting. That whole scene is so well shot, where he steps on the rose, like the disregard yep. for it. Yeah, it was really that. 
I mean, look, James Cameron has been known to be the biggest asshole director that you could possibly work for. Like, that's really what he's known for, aside from making fantastically amazing movies. So, I've never worked for him. You (laughs) can't. I did just last week. What do you mean? He's a dick, huh? <laughs> He's such an asshole. I don't know. But anyway, my point is is that a, a man that as meticulous as James Cameron, you would expect nothing less from him. Knowing, you know, the career that he's and It's he's very early out. James Cameron, too. Yeah, we'll get to that. I really like the explanation of how the T-1000 worked when Edward Furlong's asking Arnie about, like, yo, why doesn't he turn into a bomb and blow right. everybody up? and it's mechanical. Yeah, but the exposition was not in your face. It was more conversational. Yeah. And everything that... See, that's what you got to appreciate. This is, again, I bring this up time and time again, but what I've learned from doing this podcast, how directors really make a difference in a movie like this where he paid attention to the storyline. James Cameron paid attention to the storyline, so he's going to answer questions that you have about... Why does he do this? Why does it like James Furlong, uh, Edward Furlong said, why does he turn into a bomb? And then Arnie's explaining, no, he can't do that. It has co- complicated electrical components. He has chemicals. He, he doesn't right. work that but way. But he, he explains it in a simplistic way that yes. we, the audience, understand easily. And like, oh, that actually makes sense. Yes. Not exactly. Right. And you're not left watching the movie with questions. Right. Like what? What the hell's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Well, why does... Exactly. No. We, a question that we would have, right? Like, why doesn't he just do this and then kill everybody? And then Arnie's like, no, he can't do that. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously can't do that. I, I thought the, the, the digital effects, you know, once again, trying to put myself back in 91, uh, you know, throughout the whole movie with the liquid metal, um, every time he changed shapes, changed forms. The, the floor effect. Oh, when he, when he camouflaged himself as a floor. The like, where the hell floor? did he go? And, and, you know, I think for some reason they must have done that on purpose, having a checkered floor. Right, so you could see him like as he gathered himself up, and the checkered right more floor. of the effect. Yeah, it comes together, sticks the that, guy in the forehead. <laughs> that that was really good. When the T one thousands chasing down Arnie and and they got the mother out of the asylum and Edward Furlong, they were in the car or whatever, and the T one thousands, you know, he's doing the the super fast running or oh, whatever. Yeah. He chases down the car. And he sticks, he makes like the metal hook and yep. he sticks it into the car. And Arnie shoots like the hook that's in the car and the piece is missing from him and he falls off. James Cameron's attention to detail when you see uh, the T 1000 walking towards the piece of, uh, of him that's missing and one arm is shorter than the other. You ever notice yeah, that? Yeah. And I also, I was actually very surprised at, at that moment when it absorbs into his shoe. Yeah. I thought that for even our time was a very smooth effect. Yep. And it yeah. was very nice that, he, you know, like you said, uh, attention to detail. He didn't leave anything behind. He, he, he needed that. He left no stone unturned, right. like no questions. Like you can't, I mean, I'm sure you could, if you really nitpick, but at face value, you can't really say any point that this movie was like, Oh, why'd they do this? That was stupid. You know what I mean? For the most part, for the most part. All right. Uh, you want to hit some categories? Yeah, let's start. All right. So, as we said, directed by James Cameron. Uh, directed. Look, I I owe a lot. Of, yeah. He's got owe, he's got a hell of a rap sheet here. I I owe a lot of hours to this man's movies. Yeah. Uh, Terminator, Aliens, the second one. Yeah. The Abyss, which I gotta go back and watch The Abyss because I'm quite certain I don't give that movie the respect it deserves. I mean, that's a, that's 80s. Yeah, 80s. yeah, that's that's a long time ago. I, that's it's 
It's one of those movies that's dark. It's underwater the whole time. Yeah, but I, also ha- the special effects. Like his whole career has been special effects, really. I'd watch it again with you because I have no recollection except for being dark in a hole. <laughs> uh, True Lies, one of the top movies. I just love that movie. Uh, Guilty Pleasure, Titanic, Avatar, and yeah. now yeah. I so four more Avatars coming out. What's the problem with Avatar? This man, look. He made so much money with Avatar 1. But he's got Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 yeah. coming out. Coming out till 2029, I think, they're scheduled. Which would be ironic, based, given that this is taking place in 2029. Well, are there future Coincidence? I, I think th- not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I liked Avatar, but this man is clearly obsessed. But I guess it takes that sort of going. person to make the movies that he's made, right? Yeah. I mean, once again, you know, he, he, what he learned in T2, he brought into Avatar, and which just also said... Well, th- you think he did Aliens, right? He did um, The Abyss. So even before he got here to T2, he did Terminator before that. So before he even got to T2, he was all about, you know, the, the practical... Right, but I'm saying the progression of his special yeah, effects throughout sure. the years yeah, is yeah, just yeah. take... And, and it continue to He's set like the precedent... Steel- He's if you if you look at his his history he's yo know, Spielberg esque right yeah and his and how profound and prolific I he think is. Spielberg's a better maybe storyteller yes, and, and a more percent. of a family friendly storyteller yeah. but he's taking it to another level a thousand percent a thousand percent all right um, best scene so hard to pull the best scene out of this movie um, I, I mean, chose pretty easily see I was blown away still by the special effects so i i really liked my my favorite scene with the special effects would be the liquid nitrogen scene when he's so good yeah when he's stepping through the liquid nitrogen his body's starting to freeze he's he doesn't walking, understand what's going he's on he's confused you can see he doesn't know what's happening he's leaving parts of himself behind he's walking breaking his legs off i just thought that scene was a good scene and with the special effects on top just it w- that would be my best scene, I think. The special effects in that scene were top-notch. Yeah. <clears throat> I did another action scene, but not based on special effects, based on more practical effects, was the motorcycle chase scene. Okay. Right? So it was, you know, Arnie really riding the motorcycle. Oh, the Harley scene. Really yeah, yeah. cocking the shotgun. And there's so many, like... He so made ma- that... Famous yeah. with the, the yeah. hand, the single hand pump shotgun thing. And there's so many online people want to tell the story about how long it took them to learn how to do that and whatever. So we're not going into that. But and I just thought, you know, in the you could tell that that's Cali, right? Yeah. Because the, they're in the, the whatever waterways. that is, the reservoirs yeah. or whatever that whatever you want to call it. And then the T1000s driving the Mack truck. So you know, Arnie's on Arnie's on the Harley, which is a little bit more streamline and finesse and the t-1000s behind them in a literal mac truck yeah. so you could see the contrast when it comes whatever. flying off the bridge yeah sick scene yeah really i also good. noticed in that scene the t-1000 couldn't drive for shit <laughs> i mean he straight up hit every wall whether he was dodging something or not i thought that was kind of funny but very good scene all right that was my best scene what was your worst scene <sighs> you know there was this in the insane asylum there, there's this stereotypical insane asylum guard who's the perv. He oh, that guy was the worst with and, the glasses. And the scene is specifically when he licks her face when she's pretending to sleep. I, I didn't think it was necessary. I think they already set the scene for the insane asylum. No one believing her. 
I just feel like every time anyone ever films a scene in a sane asylum, there's always the dickhead. Well, I think that I, I thought about that too. And I agree with you a thousand percent. I just want to add on by saying, I guess in the nineties in the early nineties specifically, like that was the, okay. The, no, not that <laughs> just like that, that sort of level of aggression and, and, um, I don't know, violence, I guess, for lack of a better term, towards another human being was, like, maybe more commonplace. I don't know if it was more commonplace or, like, you just accepted seeing it on screen. I don't know what it was, but it happened in movies way more then than it does now, and it doesn't translate well to these times. Right. Like, that guy, like, I know he was supposed to be a piece of shit then, but now it's like, yo, he's borderline serial killer with that sort of behavior. Right. I I thought... It just that one scene was just unnecessary. Yeah, unnecessary. I get what they were saying. I get what they were unnecessary. doing. Unnecessary. You're a thousand. Yeah, percent this is an right. action movie, right? Yeah, I I know the guy's an asshole because he beat her up before. Yeah, we already. He said doesn't that. have to lick her face. Yeah, I know he's an asshole. I agree with you. My worst scene was any of Sarah Connor's inner monologues. I just thought they felt out of place and stopped the movie cold in its tracks. Like I saw what was going on. You didn't need to tell me what was going on. I I read it so. Maybe it's for the idiots out there, but I, I, I get that. Um, I don't. I agree with you in the fact that they never set where she was when she's giving this monologue. Is she? Is this? Is right. this movie over already? And she's recalling everything that's happened. Yeah. There's no real setting for where she is when she's talking. Um, yeah. It so, was she? Is was it insight? Was it foresight? Like hindsight? Yeah. <laughs> Any of the sights. <laughs> So yeah, but anyway, all right, she was she she annoyed me. Best actor, wow, or best role, sorry. Still, Arnie. I mean, Arnie for sure. I mean, he just it was like this role was written for him. It, he just dominated every scene. He's flawless. Uh, same worst role. I, I got to go back to my my sane silent guy. <laughs> That's fair. I wrote Sarah Connor. So. I just she. she I wanted to say Sarah Connor. I wanted to agree with you, but at the same time, I tried to put myself in the place of this actress who is the only person on the planet that knows that they're doomed and no one believes her. She's borderline crazy. She's been preparing for this doomsday her whole life, going military training. She brought her son all around the world. She has this whack dream every single night. She is a bit insane. So I, I, I was going to say her, but at the same time, I put myself back and said, yeah, I'd be whacked too. Yeah, well, I mean, I just feel in my own opinion that put somebody else in that role could have done a better job. That's all. I mean, I just felt, I never felt impressed by her performance. Her physical stature and all the things she She did. She was jacked. Yeah, leading, you know, to... Fine, I commend you and all, but still, in my opinion, I feel like somebody else could have done a better job. I can't argue with that. All right, most quotable lines, all the Arnie one-liners, right? You I mean, want to run I through them? I don't, yeah, because if I go, I mean, they're all so, I mean, if you're from even the or late 90s, you should know these quotes. Yeah. I mean, I'll give one that's maybe not a streamline. There's a scene where he, Johnny's telling, don't kill anybody, don't kill anybody. Yeah. He shoots the guard in the leg. He goes, he'll live. <laughs> <laughs> all of Arnie's one-liners are great. Come with me if you want to live. Classic. Hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. Yeah. And then there was another line that I laughed at because I think it was right at the end of the movie after they killed the T-1000 and Arnold goes, I need a vacation. 
you're a robot. What do you mean you need a vacation? Where, right. did that, where did that line come from? You know what? I thought that was the only disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, for a fair amount of the movie, he was stoic and didn't have the ability any, to learn. Right. Well, no, no. So they, 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 they explained that they, when, they, they when reprogrammed they, right. his chip so he could actually learn. Yeah. But also like still, he didn't have the understand. Even after he had the ability to learn, he didn't understand emotion. Right. Right. So he was asking John why he cries and he didn't get it. And then the smile, he's telling him the smile. So then he learned, you know, how to smile. But I think that in my opinion, and maybe I'm missing something, I think that he wouldn't have understood at at a fundamental level why people smile. So the timing of when to smile and when to not smile maybe wouldn't have made sense to him. I'm probably nitpicking. Well, I'm at just the very end, though, he does grab Johnny and he says, I, I understand now why you cry. Yes. So, I mean, I guess they're trying to show you that he was learning emotion. It was yeah. entering his programming. You're probably right and I'm probably wrong. Probably. But, you know, <laughs> I stand by my opinion. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things because there's a whole shit ton of... Um, of facts and and important stuff that this movie has done before. So if you have anything that you want to add, just crowbar it in. But um, Linda Hamilton's twin was in the movie at the very end of the movie when there's two Linda Hamiltons. One was the T1000. One was you know Linda Hamilton. That was her twin. Interesting. Uh, the budget on this movie was a uh, 102 million dollars. That was the highest ever at that time. This movie grossed $519 million worldwide. Um, Arnie, okay, getting into who he was at this time. Arnie was gifted a Gulfstream 3 jet that was valued somewhere in the vicinity of $14 million for accepting this role. In 91. For accepting this role. Wow. So on top of his pay that whatever that was, right? Um, he had to be the highest grossing actor of the time by without, far. Hands down. Had to be. Yes. The minigun is the same gun from predator. Yes. Old painless. Same exact gun was a, it was a, a, a nod back to nice. then, then this movie won the Oscar for best sound and best visual effects. There was one other Oscar one and two more nominations, but, um, you know, those were the highlights. Uh, I had a couple other things that I wanted to bring up before we get out of this movie because the highest grossing movie of, you know, 1991, I think, deserves a little bit of time spent. Um, the way Dyson dies, Dyson, the, the, the guy who is the cause oh, of... Oh, right, right, yeah, in in the uh, factory. Yeah, in, yeah. when he dies and, and, and he's doing the, the fast breathing, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, he's holding the 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 whatever the trigger the over the... well it's the piece of what he created over the bomb. Oh right. Oh. And and he the the you know the cops or the SWAT whatever they are come around. He's like I don't know how much longer I could hold this. And he's doing the fit. Great job acting by that man. Um, I, I I actually missed the point that he was holding the piece of the model of the computer chip. Yeah, that's exactly. where he drops on the switch. Yeah, I always thought when I was younger. I thought it was a. It looked like a dumbbell. Like I thought weight. it was part of the mechanism when I was younger. Yeah, but you know, upon an adult viewing, I realized what it was, and you know, there's James Cameron for you, right? Uh, also, the T one thousand jump, the bike from the helicopter. I thought that was really cool. I actually had that as my second best scene because 
it was actually like I think a scene I remembered. You know, yeah. I haven't seen this movie like you in a long time, but I remembered how good this movie was. And when he got the bike upstairs, I said, "Ah, oh, here comes that scene where he flies out the window." I thought that the T one thousand was a little bit inconsistent in the sense that at some points he had no remorse, like he'd murder anybody in his way, and then sometimes like he told the the driver of the helicopter. Get the out. pilot needs to get out. There's actually a, that scene um, because I was really into the graphics and everything. I, I put it in slow motion. And when the bike jumps out the window, if you put it in really slow motion as it hits the helicopter, you can see that it's like a dummy. Yeah. And you see its head bounce off the side of the <laughs> helicopter real quick. And I, I put it, I probably rewound that like four times just laughing because it, it's the little things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I that's what I'm saying. Like at points, this movie was years ahead of its time with the, the, the graphics. And then at some points it was like, well, that was fucking stupid. Yeah. I actually saw it in live action and I had to see it again. Like, I think I just saw the dummies head bounce off the helicopter. And there was also a still that showed that the T 1000 had like four hands in the helicopter. If you pause it at a certain point, it was another mistake by, you know, the CGI and whatever. Well, I mean, he could technically have four hands if he, he wanted to. Though. He could, but it was, you know, noted as a mistake. Um, and that was it. So, well, I also, I have this problem with a lot of the movies like this and I call it the Pepe Le Pew bad guy. It's when he is an ultimate killing machine and he's chasing these guys who are flying away at high speeds or running away at high speeds. And he always walks at the same pace and catches up with them. And, and it, it reminds me of those old cartoons of Pepe Le Pew just slowly always catches up to the girl <laughs> running away. And it happened at least twice in this movie where, and in the final scene, they're running around in that, in that molten metal steel, factory steel. and they're running all over the place trying to get away. And here he is. Doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. And he, you know, and he's always right there. I, I found that to be frustrating. I, 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 you know, it didn't ruin the movie for me at all. I mean, it's, it's me nitpicking it, but I, I do find that kind of funny how they cast these bad guys always kind of strolling, but always being there. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Hollywood has certain tropes that it sticks to. And it's probably, yeah, it's just a trope. They do it over and over again. So, all right, look, Chris, sorry that you're not here. I had fun with Eric. So next month we have Doc Hollywood, which is a solid Michael J. Fox movie. Gotta love Michael J. Fox. Delirious, which is a John Candy movie that didn't make that much money. <laughs> Double Impact, which has not one, but, but two Van Dams. So if Double you, the Van Dam. If you hate Van Dam, This is just as double bad. You'll doubly hate Double Impact. <sighs> Barton Fink, which is... A, a, I want to say it's a Coen Brothers movie, but were the Coen Brothers doing movies in 91? It is a Coen Brothers movie. I'm super smart. Pat yourself on the back, buddy. And then there's some motherfucking movies that came out. Child's Play 3. That is a good horror movie. Child's Play 3 is a solid horror movie. Have to watch those again. I mean, I was big into those horror movies back in the day, but it's been a long time. That's the I've one where he goes, he goes away to military camp. <laughs> is that not, that not a point of reference for you? No. Well, it's a point of reference for me. So anyway, people, I don't know. We made a podcast. You have a new co-guest host. Chris is gone sick. 
I'm still here. I missed Chris, but I had a really good time. I know that everybody comes to listen for me. So, you know, Eric, Chris, whatever. Please keep letting him think that. <laughs> All right. I had a good time, Eric. Thank you for time, finally man. showing up. Thanks man. for having me, man. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.